Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Shame to Sparkle, which is, of course, my platform to bring awareness to people who have overcome incredible hurdles, incredible traumas, and really used their pain to create a purpose. With that said, I am here today with someone who is the direct definition of that, my friend Marin Earn. Marin and her husband Shane have a very successful marketing company that focuses on mental health and addiction. And they have a beautiful family with three little kiddos. And Marin is a female founder and entrepreneur of SheWeed with her amazing crew of female founding women. And all of these things kind of that she's built up to create this picturesque lifestyle that I really love and try and emulate. And above all else, Marin and I connected because she overcame an incredible trauma that you might not know by looking at her. I know I certainly had no idea. And so we connect in that space where we both have overcome something just so astounding that you would not think of looking at us. So I'm so honored to have Marin here today. She's never really shared her story on a public platform where we live. So I'm just really grateful for the space for you to feel safe to do so. And I want you to feel safe to do so. So welcome, Marin. Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm so um, nervous, but really happy and excited to share my truth and just talk about kind of what I went through and how I survived it. And yeah. So Marin and I had connected. We kind of work out in the same fitness community and everyone kept telling me, you need to talk to this woman. When I started sharing like that, I was kidnapped with my friend. Everyone was like, you have to meet this woman, Marin. She's so incredible. Oh my gosh, she's this person. And she ended up sharing a piece of her journey with me. But if you have kind of just like a little bit of background about yourself and what you've kind of gone through to be here where you are today. Just kind of like a brief history. Like I grew up in Salt Lake City. I was a Mormon. I grew up really um, in a very Mormon community, which was traumatizing in its own self. (laughs) And I had a pretty normal childhood. My parents got divorced when I was 12 and that was pretty brutal. I think that was where some of my childhood trauma started because it was probably one of the worst divorces that you could ever possibly imagine. And so Moving forward, I left Utah when I was about 21 and I moved it to LA and, and I had a few different kinds of careers there. I worked in hair. I went to Vidal Sassoon and then I got into fashion and the Venice beach life was great, but it was just like a little bit too much for me. And so I decided to move down to LA or to Orange County where I met my husband, which was awesome. And I guess we were just, I don't know, we were always trying to find something. So we were just constantly moving and we ended up moving back to Salt Lake City to be closer to my family. And that's kind of where everything happened, I guess, if we want to get right into the trauma aspect of my life. So we were living in Salt Lake City. I'm in a little apartment. And one night I went out by myself. I was out late. I mean, I went and met some friends and on the way home, I stopped at this gas station that was in the wrong part of town, probably at the wrong hour of night. And I was, it was not like an Arco or anything like that. It was definitely like very shady, but I mean, I know the area there, that's where all the clubs are um, in downtown Salt Lake city. And so I was getting gas and a girl came up to me um, from the front and we started talking and basically the next thing I knew I was just in my car and being driven away. Like, I don't even remember honestly, because it came so fast, but I think what happened was she was talking to me. I had a Honda element. So I had like this big back door and they just grabbed me uh, a male, grabbed me from the back 
and had a gun and it was, that was it. Just taken like that, super quick. I froze in fear. I didn't know what to do. I, I, I like literally felt like I couldn't even move my fingers. I couldn't move anything. I was like a, a, a statue. I couldn't fight. I couldn't scream. Um, I was just like frozen in fear and immediately they beat me up really bad. There was two girls there that beat me up really bad. And there was a couple guys, maybe three, all the guys had guns. And within like 20 minutes, I was at some random apartment or whatever. They had stripped me down with no clothes and they just put me into a room, an empty room um, with like a towel on the ground. And basically that was kind of where the nightmare began. And so you can only imagine, I think that night it was just a ton of trauma over and over again. It was just multiple people would come in and out of that room and just tr beat me or whatever they wanted. It was like free for all. And so that kind of happened and that, I don't know, I was like completely sober. I was completely coherent through the whole thing. And I just didn't really know what was going on. It just happened so fast. And so that happened for, I think maybe about like three days, I think that went on. And then they moved me um, to like a Motel 6. And when we went to the Motel 6, the whole time, I think maybe for the first 30 days, I wasn't allowed to have any clothes. And you were so, taken for, I believe, 97 days, correct? Seven days. So almost 100 days, you were held against your will as a prisoner. Mm -hmm. You had no idea where you were at. And you were just repeatedly, I mean, that is emotional warfare. And I know you had mentioned right off the bat that you froze. And that is a completely normal response to trauma. Our brains are actually wired to fight, flight, or freeze. I froze as well when we were kidnapped and I felt an immense amount of guilt, which I hope you certainly don't because it's a completely, it's a neurological response and there's nothing we can do. Our bodies literally shut down when they feel unsafe and you are such a warrior for even sharing that. I mean, I can't, I cannot imagine and I have so much empathy for you. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot to do with that whole freezing thing. I mean, I think also too, like, I don't know, I was scared to fight. They had guns, you know, like. They were um, definitely a gang. It was the Crip gang. So like very big people, scary people. And they were threatening my family. That seemed like, I mean, they probably didn't know my family, but they acted like they did. And so, yeah, I was just like basically um, froze. And then I basically was just like trying to do anything they asked me to do. So hopefully I could manipulate my way out of the situation. But it was just really hard because I was like their prisoner. And so they were definitely part of a trafficking ring. I know that for sure. And so when we moved to the hotel or the Motel 6, again, still like I had no clothes. Like we would drive through, I remember like at McDonald's and I'd be like in the back in the trunk of the car, like in a ball, like no clothes. Um, I don't know like how they got me in and out of the buildings with people noticing because we were like constantly on the move. But we finally ended up at that Motel 6 and... That, I think maybe we were there for a few weeks and they would have all these parties and all these people would come in. And like, again, I'd be like the only one in the room with like no clothes on. So that was intense. And then I don't know kind of like how that, I was maybe there for like 30, 45 days. And what kind of happened is I kind of became, started becoming friends with like the girlfriend. And so 
like that made it easier. They started like uh, attacking me less. And then she had this idea that she, I don't know exactly how it happened, but she said, you know, I'm going to, we're going to get you somewhere better. I'm with someone that treats you better. And so anyways, the next thing I know, I was like basically transferred over and I was being taken care of by this guy. He worked, he was like the manager at the local postal office. Um, he was white. He was like a normal guy. And all of a sudden I was like living in his apartment and it was just really strange, but I didn't know I had been so traumatized. And by so- normal, do you mean like he wasn't involved in a gang? He had an everyday job. He just like an everyday job. Yeah, yeah. Like a seemingly, he was a seemingly average Joe and you're now in this man's home being held against your will. Basically. Yeah. And so, um, and he was like, yeah, just an average Joe. Like if he was walking down the street, he would have, he drove like a Honda Civic. He dressed normal. He worked at the post office. I mean, he was like the manager, like the general manager at the U S post office, you know? And so, and so he was normal and you know, this is the thing. I was an adult. So I think a lot of my shame for me comes from like, why didn't I leave before or how did I not get away? But like he was normal, but he was also not normal. I mean, he had guns also. He threatened my family. He, my dad is somewhat of um, well-known in the state of Salt Lake City or in Utah in Salt Lake City. So people do know him. And so he, I don't know if he Googled me or whatever, but he knew things that made me scared for my family's safety. And so basically I was just like, oh, I'm going to just stay here and do whatever he wants. And then another thing was too, is that I think like after being brutalized, um, like I was for the first 30 days, so badly in so many different ways, like, I didn't think if I were to go back that anyone would ever love me again. So I kind of had like, oh, cause like the, my husband, like, well, it's not like Stockholm syndrome, but in a way, if somebody is psychologically manipulating you and there's actually a proven statistic after you're held with a, you know, a captor or someone and they're threatening your family and they're instilling this shame in you in your neurochemistry every day, day after day, it's like um, a trauma bond with an abuser. If you're being told you're worthless and unlovable and dirty and damaged, you're starting to almost subconsciously believe it. And our deep subconscious is so powerful, you guys. So please don't guilt yourself into those questions even because I had the same thing and I was only taken for a night. And the amount of guilt I felt for the years to follow was why didn't I do this? Why am I so stupid? And you can never shame yourself as a victim because you did what you had to do to survive. Yeah, for sure. No. And I, I and I'm there now and I, and I get that, but, um, yeah, but yeah, so, but it was, um, and then when I got transferred into this other situation, it felt like so kind. I mean, he bought me clothes, he gave me showers, he gave me food, you know, he, made me feel pretty. I didn't live in a motel six. He would put me up in really nice hotels, like downtown Salt Lake city and penthouses, you know, but you know, he was definitely trafficking me. So that was, um, that was it. There was other girls, um, involved, you know, one of the girls was six months pregnant. She was being trafficked. There was young girls under the age of 15 that were being trafficked. And so it was definitely a thing you know? Um, and so can I interject? You were married at this point, correct? We were not married. So what had happened? We were dating though. We were living together. And so basically, yeah, the whole thing was nuts because I was basically like, Hey babe, like I'll be back in a little while I'm going out. And then I just like never came back. Um, and so, and then that whole situation was weird too. And I haven't really dived too far in with my family. Cause this is like, let's say going on 15 years, 
But my husband looked for me as much as he could. He, he tried to get private detectives. He tried to file, but it was just really weird. The police didn't really care. Nobody really wanted to help. Yeah. I mean, with these situations, especially with women who are taken into trafficking rings, which the statistics on this are like insurmountable. And I think it's such a taboo discussion, especially now because you don't want to be labeled, you know, a conspiracy theorist or a, you know, oh, you're crazy. You're paranoid. But the amount of women that are taken and there is zero, when I say zero, there is zero energy put into them being found. Like, it's actually crazy. If you go on the missing persons website and you type in Salt Lake City, which I did prior to us filming because I just like to read up on things, especially when it's affected someone I know, there are thousands of women. And if you Google their name, there's no website created. There's no, so I mean, it's not like in a Hallmark movie or Lifetime movie where you get taken and there's a search crew out with dogs for people. Like exactly. It's, it wasn't like that, you know? And so like dealing with that was um, a weird thing for me too, because I was like, well, why wasn't there? You know? Well, and people don't know. They don't know if you left your boyfriend. They don't know if you, they don't know. And that's why police, they give this huge time frame where they're like after 24 hours and then 48 hours for a search. If the first 24 hours, someone's not found, it's looking very grim for them. So I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of the bylaws in this, but okay. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, no. So that was kind of it. I mean, I basically, so yeah. So, and then again, I was, you know, in that situation for another 60 days or whatever it was, 67 day. I mean, I think, I, I don't know the first, the exact time frames, but total 97 days. So basically how I was found was I was, they busted the, they busted the ring. So I was in a hotel downtown Salt Lake in like a penthouse and just sitting there. Um, you know, and, and, and in the midst of all of this, you have to understand by the time I got to this other guy, they, I had fully become on addicted to drugs. They had put me on all sorts of stuff. And so, um, and, and at the time, I mean, just wanted it, you know, because of all the trauma and everything that I had to endure on a daily basis. And so, yeah, I was in a hotel room, I was doing drugs and all of a sudden I just heard all this like crazy banging on the hotel door and I opened the door and it was like, um, the FBI or whoever it was a task force. And they, and the guy, the, the, the postal worker, they had been following him and, and tracking him for years, they said for trafficking and, and, and prostitution rings, human trafficking. And he was like known for this. And so the thing about this guy was, and this is like just a weird random fact. And I don't, it's like probably TMI or whatever, but he was like a hermaphrodite or something. I don't know exactly what it was, but he was transitioning. Whatever it was, it made him very safe because he couldn't do anything abusive in that fact because he, his, his organs were like, didn't function. So for, he was very safe to be around. Like he felt comfortable. Like he was welcoming. He was like this nerdy, geeky, white, blonde hair, blue eye, postal worker, you know, and just like the perfect, the perfect capturer, you know, because, um, he felt so safe and gentle and whatever it was. And so, yeah, he was definitely, um, heading or leading up one of the biggest trafficking rings in Utah and Utah does yes, have a ton of missing girls. I mean, there's trafficking rings all over this country. It's, I think it's another, I always talk about the other pandemics and epidemics, but, um, human trafficking is so high up there. It's not to take away from 
from one or the other, but they exist, especially in places like Utah. Well, yeah. And like, the thing is, is, um, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't, honestly, I was 25 years old. I could have, but you can't, you know, when you're put into that situation, it, they're women of all different ages. Like you said, you get these trauma bonds. You can, I mean, by the time I think, and this sounds crazy to even say, but by the time when I was in that first situation, like by the time right before I got moved, like I was like, Oh my God, like these guys could probably be my friend. Like I felt like they could be my friends. Well, and that's the thing that happens. You know, we become, no, I I know you're looking at me. We're, we're looking at each other on a zoom, by the way, we're very responsible. We're zooming COVID times, but you're giving me that look of like, I know it's bad, but it's not bad. I mean, it's so crazy. The things our brains do, especially as an empath, like we feel compassion. I was testifying in court and this guy, I mean, this, the guy testified, he literally tried to kill me. And I was like, but I want to give him a hug. Like I wanted to, you know, cause we don't know why we think the things we do. Our yeah. brains are wired. So with so much complexity. So don't be hard on yourself with that. Yeah. So that was kind of like the, that the depth, I mean, I mean, not to go into details, you know, but, um, it was brutal. It was 97 days of, um, I don't think any sort of happiness for sure. Um, it was like a daily attack. It was in every sort of way. I mean, the girls would, there was these girls in the beginning, like four or five of them, they would like line me up against the wall and they would just take turns punching me every day. Like it was just crazy. Like in every way, shape or form, that was it, you know? And, and then, what happened was, is right after I got rescued, my husband, so as soon as I got out, so I went to check my email and, and my current husband now had like emailed me like so many times per day, every single day that I was gone. And oh my gosh, you know, I know this is a traumatic experience and I know you're not supposed to make any jokes, but I so think of Mr. Big and Sex in the City, like <laughs> never gave up on you. Seriously. So our inside joke now is like, you, you kept the porch light on. Thanks for keeping Aww. the portrait on, you know, because every, cause like the, the thing is, is um, like one of the biggest reasons I, it was so hard for me to leave that situation was because I didn't think that he would accept me back after having all that trauma to me. Like, um, because also, like I said, I was raised um, Mormon and I was always kind of like a prude and I was just never like a super sexual being as it was. And so like, it was very traumatizing um, to go through something like that because I just wasn't, it just wasn't in my DNA anyway. I mean, I don't think it <laughs> that in general isn't, but I just, you know, so, so my biggest thing, I was always like, well, there's just no point to go back because he'll never take me back anyways. You know, like I'm going to have to just try to like live my life like this It's going to be my new life. You know, that was kind of my thought process. But anyways, I checked my email and there he was multiple times a day. I finally got like, I finally called him. He was back in California and and he sent me a plane ticket and I came out to California and back to Newport beach. And I was all crazy. I was, um, addicted to drugs and alcohol for sure. And so I went right into like a woman's shelter. It was called the Lynn house. It's in Costa Mesa. It's an amazing place actually for anyone that, um, ever needs uh, treatment or therapy that doesn't have any money. They take you for free. And that's kind of where it's a huge resource to give to anyone on this. What is it called? The Lynn house? House, Yeah. The Lynn house. It's in Costa Mesa. I'll write it in the show notes. You can um, go there for the first 30 days for free. And then like you can, um, they have like a, a work program for people. Like I was coming 
right from the street, basically. I didn't have any resources. Like my family and stuff are there, but like, you know, I don't, I wasn't going for them. So yeah. And so I kind of just got right into like trying to get better, I guess. Um, <laughs> after and that, how was, I mean, how was that journey? Did you have, you obviously had PTSD, you've had to overcome, they had you dependent on substances to seemingly exist. Was it like a straight and arrow? I think for me, it was, it was brutal. Honestly, the first little while, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't want to sugarcoat it. But so within three months of me getting home, I got pregnant. And so with my current husband, but it was quick, it was fast. And I had just gone through all that trauma and I got pregnant and it was like, whoa, like this is crazy. Right. And so I, I had a beautiful son and he's an amazing child and it was such a blessing. And I basically, and we got married and we did the thing and it was basically like, oh my God, okay. Like I'm married, I have a kid and like what, like nothing was talked about, you know, like Do you all feel guilty for having so many blessings after coming out of such a tragedy. I mean, I think for me, honestly, I was still like living in such deep PTSD. I was like, I didn't even know what was going on. Honestly, it all happened so fast. So, I mean, I think for me, it was just, so this is why I'm going to explain this because it was just such, I just did it a little bit backwards, but it's fine. It was my journey. And, and so I had my two kids back to back. And I think that's like when my little daughter, Maya was probably about six months old. Um, this is about three or four years after my incident. It all hit me. All that trauma started coming up. My husband started traveling for work. When he would leave for work, I would lock myself in my bedroom with like all the furniture against the doors at night. I mean, I couldn't drive my car at night. Just um, totally normal. I could not drive alone at night for a year because of PTSD. Exactly. So things like that. I was like, I, if it was getting dark, I didn't want to go outside. Just debilitating things that are very hard to do when you have children because there's things that you kind of have to do or you're supposed to be doing as a mom. And my husband was, his job um, was, he was sober coaching a child that lived up in, in Santa Barbara. And so he was gone a lot. He basically lived there half time and he lived with us half time. And we were living in a beautiful home in Ladera Ranch. It was all great. We had the, it looked like the dreams, but I was like living in my own, as like my own prisoner in my own mind. And so I think that's kind of when I really started to try to get into the trauma work because I was a wreck. Like I was not functioning properly. Um, I was probably abusing alcohol at the time because I just didn't know how to deal with any of the trauma, like being able to like not live in my own home. I like just always felt like I was going to be taken basically everywhere I went. I just was always looking over my shoulder. And so You're probably so beyond hypervigilant, which is again, another, I mean, it's another chemical reaction because you want to keep yourself safe, but you are doing it probably at like 200% when the average person maybe does it at like 10%, which wreaks havoc on your body and your mind. Exactly. And um, I, I also, my body went into, I, I also have immune, uh, body autoimmune diseases. I don't know if that was from the trauma or from the children. For sure. You have to read the body keeps the score. Yeah. So also I had two, I had two kind of traumatic childbirths also. So it was just like a lot of stuff all compiled together all at once and trying to live in, be this like perfect Mormon girl that I was taught to, even though now I'm Jewish, but like, but trying to be that person in Orange County with my little kids going to Jewish school, doing the ding. And it was rough. And so I kind of finally just hit a wall, honestly. And I ended up going 
back to treatment, like, um, uh, after my children were born and I needed to like get a reboot and really get deep into the PTSD. And that's kind of where that started. And so, um, I started really doing all that inner childcare work. I, I mean, I basically have done every kind of therapy you could possibly imagine. What um, kind benefited you the most? Because a lot of the questions that I usually get on social media are people asking, what kind of therapy will help them and they don't really know and they don't have the financial means to you know like keep trying every type of therapy what helped you do you think okay so for me the one thing that helped me um and i'm sorry we're pulling out my notes so i can explain it properly but was the brain optimization so like i like i said i did everything i did the shamans i did the talk therapy i did the emdr i did i experimented with with um mushrooms mushrooms i've yeah. experienced with um mdma yeah i did everything no and i think that certain people it serves such a valuable purpose i'm actually i'm filming a, an episode on the ashwagandha in a few weeks because i find it all so riveting it's just it depends the thing is one therapy can never be one size fits all and i think it's important that people know this the pieces of our brain where trauma is stored because i'm just like so into how our brain handles things now because like i'm a control freak like you i'm an empath like you and like when I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. And like nothing worked for me. And I had to learn like there's trauma stormed, stored in different parts of our brain. So like EMDR might hit one part, but not the other. And like mushrooms might hit our frontal lobe, but not this part. And like our amygdala might still be like, it's so incredibly like complex. So I'd love to hear what worked for you. And I've never heard of brain optimization other than when you told me on our walk briefly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So brain, so basically, um, the way that that started is I started, I started out doing, I did like a, I did like four, um, heavy metal deep. Like she has you, this is a local girl in Laguna beach. I don't know if she does it anymore. Cause she's kind of like moved on to different stuff, but she, I would go into her home. Her name was Rachel. She's incredible. And she, we started out with doing heavy metal mold and uh, drug and alcohol detox. Like I would sit in a foot bath and she did all this other stuff. And what she would do is she would put these nodules like all over my head and I would have to sit there for, I think four to six hours, depending in like a chair, like it was intense and not go on my phone, not do anything. And I would listen, I would have these headsets on my ears and she would um, be behind her computer with her partner who works in Switzerland. And they would basically reroute my trauma through my brain waves. And they're, they're rerouting new pathways for your brain. And so when you like, when it starts to get dark, you don't have that fear anymore. And so, um, I basically did this for about four weeks. It was very expensive, but like, if I could only do one thing, if I had severe trauma, I would tell everybody to do this. If you're actually living with that real PTSD, that's debilitating you from living a normal life, which I had you know, I, I was not functioning as a human being. And like, I knew that I could, you know, if I could just get through the, the, the trauma. And so, yeah, so that was, it was brain optimization. Brain mapping is another thing. Uh, some insurances now are starting to like cover that for people that maybe not be able to afford. Um, like what I did was $25,000. Like it was very, very expensive. But like I said, I had already spent hundreds of thousand dollars, honestly, on so many different kinds of therapies, just searching, trying to like purge that pain or like learning how to live with it. And nothing honestly was really helping like um, just the sexual trauma in itself and being married 
was like debilitating, you know, like important point. And I just had talked about this with um, Jason and Ashley a few weeks ago, but we were saying how trauma doesn't dis discriminate in a sense where yes, you can be in the complete lowest financial state of your life and you can't afford these therapies and you can try one and it won't work and you feel so defeated. And you can also be in the highest kind of echelon of, of able to get these services. We were actually talking about rehab and I was saying, you know, some rehabs don't work for people and they have hundreds of thousands of dollars to show for it. So it really doesn't discriminate. It can be the most expensive thing and it can be the cheapest thing. And either way, it still might not work if it's not the right thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think you also like have to be in the right space to, to be, um, open to like, you know, getting past it. And so I kind of just had that, um, aha moment where I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to like hit a full, full throttle. I want to have like a very successful life. I want to be a successful person. Like I want to be a happy, loving person. Um, and so I kind of just, I did that. I, I started working on a lot of forgiveness, um, mostly with myself, but also with all the people that hurt me. The weird thing about that brain optimization is that it really starts to erase your memory of everything. And I mean, it's a good thing, but it's definitely like, sometimes I'll try to really think back at like the guy's name who took me and I can't, it's fine, but I used to know it. Like, I mean, it used to be so imprinted onto my brain and now it's been 15 years, but she really rerouted all of that stuff for me. So like, um, I have a really, I heard you speaking in one of your podcasts about your memory. I have a really, really bad memory too. And I think that is, um, that is like a, an effect of the trauma. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, the but trauma and PTSD actually affects our short-term memory. Like my, like I could watch a show and like right after, like me and my husband will watch a movie and like, then like the next day, like I literally won't remember like, like stuff like that. But like, they say that this is like all because well, of having that where your short-term memory is actually stored. So it's very easy for victims of assault, sexual assault, um, you know, kidnapping. A lot of times people in hostage situations, they experience, you know, not only the physical effect of autoimmune disease, um, onset MS, lupus, Hashimoto's, but they also can receive short-term memory loss. They're more apt to get, you know, dementia. There's, there's so many studies that, um, that go hand in hand with these diagnoses. So it's not weird that you have short-term memory loss. So once I did that brain mapping, honestly, um, and I'm sure like a, a collision of everything that I've done because I've, I've done so much and I still do it. I still do all sorts of practices. I work with healers. I'm super into, I'm very spiritual. So I do all, all sorts of spiritual work daily, but I kind of just was like ready. I, I, it, once I got that, um, debilitating PTSD taken away where I couldn't like function as a normal person, I kind of like was on my past path to recovery. And I felt like, um, instead of being a victim, I kind of turned into that victim survivor, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so now I feel like I'm a survivor. And then another thing I think that was really important with my whole thing. And I think you were like a huge part of this. I mean, I think at this point when I had been working on all of this, really decided to get into the trauma work because I just couldn't function. I was like in and out of drinking too much. I was not being the best mom. I mean, just all this stuff. I just couldn't function as a, as a normal person. I was living in Bonita Canyon and in Newport beach. My kids were going to a private Jewish school. It was like all this stuff. And I had this huge thing on my back, like my monkey on my back, like, where's my truth? Like, how am I going to speak my truth? You know, like, I mean, it's not really, I don't want to like have my story be like my whole story, but it is part of me. And so I think for, for a long time, like learning how to like talk about it was very debilitating. 
like, how do I tell anybody that this happened to me? Are they going to think I'm like this or are they going to judge me or are they going to still love me and accept me, especially like in the area that we're in? And so I think I had told a couple of people about my story, not very many. And when you shared your story and just cause I admire you and I admire um, everything that you do with your life and, and your lifestyle and everything. I just think you have a beautiful life, the way you give back and, and you're so connected and you're, and you just do it so elegantly that it really gave me the strength to like talk about it. So oh, because, that's a very kind compliment. I appreciate you saying but that, you know, cause like, it's like not normal, like for people to be kidnapped and then like, I just, I don't know, like there's still that shame that we still work on, like on a daily basis, like around something like that. Well, I think as you start to share and you start to open up, you open this pathway for other people to feel safe around you to do so. So the only thing you're doing is helping others and to not share and to rob other people of that help or that potential to feel safe, to share their experiences and to take off that sweater of shame is doing like society and injustice. So what you've done is opened up another pathway for maybe someone close to you in your life or your community or someone you box with to say, hey, like you've gone through this and I feel safe to share this with you. So usually um, victims of sexual assault feel safer sharing it with a stranger than someone in their immediate family. Yeah, that is definitely very true. Or like um, I would share my stories definitely with a stranger before I would with any of my friends even. Um, and, 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 and honestly, in my, I mean, obviously with my husband and stuff, like we, he knows basically what happened, but we don't talk about it. You know, it's different. You know, it's, it's still. Well, it's like, hard for men because they feel, of course, they wish they could have helped in some way. You know, I'm sure he feels his own his own experience that he had to go through with that since you two were together when it happened. Oh yeah. He definitely has severe PTSD from that. I mean, he went through his own trauma. I mean, he cried for me for every day while I was gone. He said he would just cry in the shower, you know, every time he'd get in the shower, he would just break down and cry. And so, um, so yeah, he definitely went through his own trauma and you're right. I mean, the second I started talking about it a little bit more and again, like we don't want to focus so much on the actual trauma, but just like, the fact that I did go through something like this, it is not shameful. It will help others. I can share my story and you've been just so inspiring. Um, so yeah, now I really want to, to create a platform to where I can um, really, really give back and, and know that like this can happen to you and it can completely fuck you up. Like, excuse my French, but you can come out on top and there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And like, you can be successful. You don't have to be, um, you know, suffering forever. There's always hope. If you just put in the work, you'll reap the reward, you know? So I, I truly believe in that, you know? And yeah, now I'm ready to like share more and get more involved with different foundations that are helping children. And I think that'll be awesome. Well, I'm so inspired by you for taking the time to share your story and what you've endured and how you've come out of this a better you with, you know, the community that I share it with. And I hope to have you back soon. And I'm just so grateful for you, Marin. I'm so thankful for you to feel safe to do so. And I am going to connect you with everyone I know, because I think it's such an important story to share about overcoming adversity. And so I have to wrap it up. But you guys, I'm going to share all of Marin's information in the show notes. I'm going to share her company. She does incredible work in the CBD space, including anti-anxiety formulas, anti-nausea, anti, well, you know it all better, <laughs> um, but she's just really turned this experience into a part of her story and a part of it that's given her the tenacity to be a female founder, to be, 
you know, a mother, a member in our society who does so much for so many. So thank you, Marin, for being here. And thank you for, for choosing the space to share your truth. As always, anyone sharing their truth here doesn't take away from the space for you to share yours. Connect with someone today. And thank you, Marin, for being here. Oh my God. Thank you, Lacey, for having me. And I appreciate your platform so much. Thank you.